This is Fashionability, your guide to accessible style. Finally, style within reach of everyone. and welcome back to the fashionability podcast channel we hope you are well so today is the 21st of may and today marks global accessibility awareness day now this is an international day which helps to raise awareness and start the conversation surrounding online accessibility and today i thought that i would make this opportunity to talk about an issue that is very prevalent within the sight loss community and especially to those who are visually impaired and who love beauty. And today I am joined with my lovely co-founder, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Emily. And today we are going to be discussing how beauty brands can make their online websites and social media platforms more accessible for their low vision customers. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. It's so nice to chat to you. And how are things going for you over there in the U.S.? Well, we've all got quarantine fatigue, so I suppose our situation here is really no different than it is anywhere else, but we're hanging in there. Hello, everyone. Hope all are well and your loved ones also. And how have you been finding um, spending this time in, you know, in lockdown? Have you been doing any online shopping for beauty lately? Obviously, because none of us can go out. Have you been you know, purchasing anything? Have you been you know, treating yourself to any new skincare, perhaps? Have you been shopping more online than you usually would? And has it kind of made you see any particular things that online websites could be doing, in fact? I have actually recently made a beauty purchase. I actually purchased a Marc Jacobs lip kit. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've done more online shopping than usual. In fact, there was a period of a couple of months early on in the quarantine situation where I was more fixated on making sure I had a line on food and some of the important household essentials. So I wasn't making any online beauty purchases, but I did recently make that purchase. I have a handful of issues with regard to online accessibility that we'll discuss today many of which I'm sure our listeners share. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's been really interesting this time spent in, in lockdown because I think the fact that so many people are now using online websites so much more than they usually would, I think it actually makes people more conscious of these issues and actually even you know businesses as well. I mean, I was recently approached by a high-end beauty company who wanted to improve their online accessibility you know it's a very very affluent one who I admire a lot and I think this is actually it's kind of given some positivity to this really difficult situation because I think if anything it's making brands realize how they need to actually work on their online platforms for people who've got disabilities and just in general as well people who don't have disabilities who might find shopping online difficult. I think it's definitely raised the bar on this issue a lot. So now the first thing I wanted to talk about, which is a very broad subject, I know, to condense into a shorter um, podcast episode, but it's in relation to people who use screen readers and voiceover and people who rely on those tools to be able to surf the net and to be able to shop. Now, as a voiceover user yourself, Laura, do you find that there are any particular issues with shopping for beauty products that you know you find difficult being someone who relies on voiceover well i think some of the issues are really technical and one of the issues that i come upon regularly is the difference between 
A website that you access by way of your laptop or desktop, and a website that you access access via your phone, your iPhone or your iPad or whatever your smart device may be, and whether or not that access is achieved through Safari or Windows or whether or not you are accessing the information with the company app. Because there's a difference in the responsiveness of screen readers to all of these scenarios. You may find that a screen reader works really well on a beauty site when using JAWS or NVDA, which is the screen reader I use on my Windows laptop. And the website responds in a completely different way than it does when shopping on that same website using my iPhone and voiceover. Often the websites are not necessarily mobile responsive. And so that's why many websites also have apps. So if I can't access an app on the web, I can often turn to an app on my phone and voiceover may respond differently and provide me with better information that way. But there are consistent problems across all platforms and that's what we want to talk about today. Absolutely. And I think there's quite a lot of things that come up and I think because this is such a, a widespread issue and because you know, there's not one standard piece of software that everybody uses. Everybody's different. Some people will use, like you say, JAWS or VoiceOver on an iPhone or VoiceOver on Android or even Clara Read, for example, that it is very difficult to pinpoint the issues. I guess one of the main ones that I find comes up a lot in conversation is with regards to, you know, labeling things. So labeling buttons and labeling photos or images and putting alt text on those images on those websites do you know do you find that yourself do you often find that when you go on a website and maybe you're using your phone and you're trying to access it via that way that often a lot of these kind of buttons or pictures don't have labels and you just don't know what they are or you can't access them well what's really frustrating for someone who's completely blind as i am is that you don't know what you don't know it's probably a button it could be a button but it could also be a photograph. A lot of beauty brands like to represent their product with a photo of the jar or the bottle or the component or the compact or the container. And if they don't label the graphic, you have no idea what it is. It could be a logo. It could be the, a picture of the container. It could be a colorful shot of the pans and a palette. You don't even know what you don't know. Sometimes you can tell if something is a button because the underlying text will simply say button 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 but sometimes you have no idea in that case will it just not tell you anything will it not give you any you know audible response will it just be like you're just surfing a blank canvas exactly and what do you find difficult mostly about shopping for products as a voiceover user on you know the various different pieces of software that you use you know, do you find it more difficult to locate the item or to search for it? Or is it more difficult to actually add it to your basket and to pay for it? You know, where do you find that the most issues arise from? Well, if the website or app is at all functional, then actually navigating, shopping, adding to cart, etc., are doable. They may require some workarounds. They may require memorizing what certain buttons do at what positions based on logic and workflow and, you know, going from beginning to end of a search process to adding to cart. 
But that isn't what really frustrates me. As a person who's blind, what really frustrates me is that I never know what color something is. And my situation is a little bit different in that I did have vision at one time in my life. So I do have a memory, of course, of colors. So when a color is described to me, I have a complete understanding of what that color is. But oftentimes a beauty brand will use words to represent a color, but don't go further to describe the color to any great degree. I mean, there's a million shades of pink, and to describe something as pink is insufficient. I appreciate the you know more information rather than less. And if they're going to call a color some you know cutesy marketing name, that you know I appreciate why they would want to do that, especially if their product is a theme, for example. But to further describe the color as more than just light pink would be very useful. Obviously, in some cases, they go further to say light metallic pink or light iridescent pink or light cool-toned pink. But I think that they could do even better with greater, more specific descriptions. Yes, and that's something that actually comes up into conversation a lot, even when I myself discuss it with my, you know, my readers and when I try to do research into this for work with brands. Often shade descriptions is one of the big areas that comes up is not knowing what a shade is. So that could be, you know, an eyeshadow or a lipstick or, you know, a foundation or a concealer, you know, trying to skin match, for example. And that's a, a big issue that comes up a lot of the time. And you know, often the descriptions are very vague if, if, if they are at all there, that is. I mean, sometimes they don't even give a description of the shade and they just expect you to be able to physically see what the actual shade is just through a picture, which obviously people who are low vision can't. I mean, what would be a good example if you were shopping for, let's say you wanted a new lipstick for spring, what kind of colour information would you like a website to display? Well, I would like to know, for example, if it's a warm tone or a cool tone. I would like to know the color name. I would like to know what the subtleties of the color are. For example, is it a blue red? Is it a scarlet red? Is it a coral red? Is it a berry red? I'd also like to know if colors are similar a raspberry versus a strawberry red, for example, what is specifically the difference? Is one more purple toned? Is one more pink toned? There are so many subtleties to color and it would be so helpful to know what some of those subtleties are. In addition to just the texture or the formulation, I think that's important because even for people with low vision, the calibration of colors on everybody's device is going to be different. You can look up a color on Google. You can look at a color on the web. You can look at a, the same color on your iPad and all the colors will be different. And you could be looking at the identical page on each of the products or brand websites. And it's frustrating because depending on the lighting, depending on any number of circumstances, an identical photograph can look three different ways on three different devices yeah and I think that's that, that's another thing as well because color is such a you know a huge thing I mean we could get into the whole you know philosophical side of it you know do we even see the same color which has always been a bit of a discussion hasn't it I mean even when you look back to the whole 
uh, the dress debate a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) White and gold, blue and black, whatever it was. I don't even remember now. Um, (laughs) But I mean, let's not get into that whole discussion because that's what Twitter is for. A, yes, it's sort of describing what the colour is. But I guess also for people who maybe have never had a conception of colour, you know, knowing what colour is going to suit them, obviously, because another big issue that comes up into the conversation is, well, I don't physically know what colour is what. I don't know what colour would look best on my skin tone. And I guess it's also about providing some kind of manual for people who are new to makeup and who would like to be able to expand on their collection and to be able to know what shade of red or pink or coral is going to suit them or if indeed certain shades won't suit them. And I think that's another thing that comes up into the conversation as well. And I think that's where often beauty websites do fall short. They don't really simplify things and they don't really make things user-friendly for people who don't really wear a lot of makeup or are a bit more apprehensive to wear makeup. Well, wouldn't it be an interesting feature of a beauty website to have a color picker personalization sort of legend where you could plug in your hair color, your skin color, your undertone, your eyes, any number of different factors and have a representative sampling of a color palette from which to pick from and shop that would generally look suitable on someone with your particular coloring because someone who's blonde with blue eyes who has a yellow undertone and fair skin is going to have a completely different suitable color palette than someone who's blonde and blue eyes with maybe a more olive complexion. And so I think it's more than just the difference of skin color. It's that there are shades of differentiation that would make a difference as to whether or not something is flattering for someone with a certain color, you know, coloring, hair color, skin color, eye color, that sort of thing. And it would be great if you could shop by your own personal color palette. I think that would be an amazing thing. And I mean, you know, they've got things like skincare widgets and tools where you can basically shop for your skin type or, you know, your hair type. But what about your, you know, your skin tone and you know, your hair colour as well. I mean, for example, I've got red hair and red lipstick is really hard when you've got red hair. You have to be very particular. You have to have a lot of orangey tone reds because obviously red hair tends to make really blue toned lipstick look very washed out. So you have to be careful what shade you use. But obviously someone who is, you know, low vision and maybe who has never physically seen colour for themselves may not necessarily know that. So to even be able to provide information as well. And I think Maybe it comes under the premise that brands don't really have a conscious awareness of this. And I think more beauty brands are becoming more aware of the fact that people who are low vision want to, you know, look good and want to, you know, wear makeup and who, you know, enjoy skincare. But I think there's, there's still, to an extent, a bit of a subconscious assumption that people from this particular community don't really have an interest in beauty, which is, of course, not the case. Well, I think it would be a tremendous asset to any brand to consult with people who have disabilities. I mean, as you know, our mantra in the community is nothing about us without us. And to, you know, just to throw ideas out there and see what sticks isn't going to be as effective as consulting with someone who actually has a disability and learning 
what is effective and what really isn't. I am perfectly willing to offer assistance to any brand that could use some input. They really need to employ people with disabilities to really have an understanding of what some of the specific problems are. We can think of things that they wouldn't even think about. They may think describing a color as obvious to someone who has low or no vision. But to me, something that's a little bit more subtle and less obvious is you can tell me what the color is, but it would also be nice to know where it's situated in a compact. If I buy an eyeshadow compact consisting of any more than just a couple of colors, I don't know which one is where. And it amazes me how often the sticker that they put on the bottom of a compact is inaccurate as to the actual placement of the color. And knowing which color is in which pan and which is in the upper left and which is in the lower right and which one is in the middle is crucial if you're trying to put together a look and you want to make sure you have the right colors placed where they belong and to not know which color is in which pan is critically important to doing the job that you want to do when presenting yourself in public and not looking like you've accidentally applied, you know, a cream eyeshadow on your lips or, you know, contour where highlight was supposed to go and and that sort of thing. I mean, making these kinds of mistakes would be easy to do if you don't know where a pigment is situated in a compact. Exactly. And I think, you know, we're talking maybe perhaps about smaller palettes, but, you know, look at the ones that are huge. I mean, like the Morphe palettes, for example, that have like 30 odd colors in there that, you know, Mm -hmm. how is someone who is low vision supposed to know and remember where each shade is? And I think even just using their packaging and using their website to be able to have some kind of system where it will list what each shade is, maybe some kind of widget where you can... It, you know input the details of what palette you have and you can ask it what shade is on the the third row from the left or something like that and to be able to actually find out and ascertain what color is what as opposed to maybe having to do some very long-winded process like I know a lot of low vision people do where they have to get someone to recall like a voice memo for them of what each shade is and go back to that and to actually have to make your own products accessible for yourself when Really, let's be honest, brands should be thinking about that already because they are you know, making money, they are a business, and it's their job really to think about what the consumer wants. And I think actually employing people who have background experience and know how to do the research with people who have disabilities themselves and know how to talk to them and know what questions to ask. And and you know, Emily, I've actually done what you've described. I've created legends for myself, little maps of the compacts and what product lies where. I've had an elaborate labeling system where I've used, you know, QR codes or stickers with tags that, you know, where I can plug into my phone identifying the placement of of certain colors, but it would be nothing for a brand to simply put a diagram on their website that was accessible that would just identify, you know, literally map out what pigment is where in a compact. And I've even gone so far as to actually call a Sephora store, get somebody on the phone, get them to go pick up the palette that I'm interested in, and look at it and tell me which color is where so that I can make a note of it and identify my own product. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. 
and it's very long-winded as well and you know imagine having to do that every single morning if you're going out of the door and you're putting on makeup it's just such an arduous process and really having a system that would in, in reality probably not even take that long to make online where you could actually you know look for, for shades yourself would be a really valuable addition and it would also just help to really build a sense of brand loyalty i think for, for, for definite it it would take so little to make such a big difference in the lives of so many people who would like to use the products i really encourage any brands that might be listening and wondering how it's possible to make these items more accessible to people with disabilities, just ask. Just ask. We have all the ideas in the world. For people who don't use voiceover or screen readers and who maybe are colorblind or who have focusing disabilities and they go onto a website and they can't physically see you know, the color contrast or the font size or the font style is, is too difficult to read, even things like that were, are, you know, can really have an impact on the way that a visually impaired person shops. And I think just making the website as user-friendly as possible is a really important thing too. Well, I think you brought up an important point. I mean, a big part of the marketing of beauty, especially, is the use of scripts and you know, script-type fonts and colors and you know, fancy, elaborate messaging with graphics and photos. And the idea is to make it as visually appealing as possible because obviously cosmetics is a visual art, so to speak. And so I think that you're right. I think even a website could be made more accessible simply by considering all the different types of people who use a site. It's not just people who are blind or who have low vision. It's people who may have other types of print disabilities who may have difficulty reading fancy font, you know, cursive style font types or typefaces and who have difficulty perceiving color differences on websites. And, you know, again, these things never render the same. These websites don't render the same depending on what browser you're using, what you know, monitor you're looking at, what device you're looking at. It's all different, and I think some universal design is what they should be aiming for because, as the saying goes, universal design is good design, accessible design is good design, and it's workable for everyone, not just people with low vision. Exactly, and I think also they could even expand what they already have. I mean, I know there's a, a huge rise now in things like QR codes, and you know, if brands were to add QR codes to their packaging, that you could then scan and access their website. It's also then actually incorporating the digital world and their digital product onto their actual product design and actually expanding their brand. And I think it's also thinking about, this is not just a case of accessibility. This is also business and it's smart business to make this industry more accessible. I mean, if you look at the research that was conducted into the disabled community and their spending power, the charity Purple published some statistics that said that worldwide, the disabled person has the spending power of around £2.2 trillion every single year. Um, and that amount is only rising every single year as the disabled community grows. And also disability comes with age as well. People you know, have problems with their eyesight as they get older as well. So it's also making a, a brand accessible to a market that you know, is growing and that will continue to grow and that is also changeable as, as life goes on. And, you know, life does happen. And 
you know, eyesight doesn't always stay the same. It, it changes. Well, going back to your idea about the QR code of earlier, wouldn't it be a good idea for a brand to have a QR code next to the graphic of the packaging on their website that a user could snap from their phone and in their phone magically would be not only all of the information, you know, they do this with nutritional labels. They do this with any number of other types of products where a legend could appear where it describes the product, the color, and where it's located in the compact. Maybe even some tips on how to apply, some information as to what the texture is, if it's, you know, a sparkle, if it's a matte. Um, and again, that would be something that would be optional. In other words, you know, would take up one square inch of website real estate. But if a person who is using their website would be aware of it, you know, they could just discreetly place a QR code on the product page and somebody using a phone could snap a picture and get all that information instantly transferred to their phone. That to me wouldn't even require a separate web page or anything obtrusive on their website that would require they change anything they're currently doing. No, exactly. And I think that it's always this conception that, you know, people think of accessibility or disability friendly products as being boring or bland, but they don't have to be boring and bland. I think another tip that I would send out into the universe for anyone who needs to hear it would be that for the brands who use ambassadors or representatives or even makeup artists, even if the makeup artist is the name of the brand, I can think of several just off the top of my head where the brand name is the makeup artist who developed the brand. When they do their Instagram stories or their YouTube posts, it would be great if they could narrate along with the description of what they're doing and you know what color they're placing where to achieve the look if they could further describe for example instead of saying well i'm using you know my brush with the letters and numbers name that sounds like i don't know the model of an aircraft <laughs> uh, my you know, <laughs> brand name x23yj42 uh, you know, I have no idea what that means, but okay, that's the brush they're using to apply the product. I'm picking up the one that's called, um, you know, I don't know, Silver Moon. <laughs> it's located in the upper left-hand corner of the palette, and it's a cool-toned iridescent lavender that when you apply it is a sheer, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it would just be great if in the process of creating these tutorials, if people could be a little bit more descriptive about what they're using, where it is in the palette, instead of saying, well, I'm dipping in here, and now I'm using this one, and now I'm applying that one, and I'm going to go back over to this one here. None of those things have any meaning to someone who's trying to learn from the demonstration. Continuing on with the discussion around social media, it's not even just things like videos and adding descriptions to videos. It's even just simple things. For example, on you know Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, brands just not adding text to their images or their gifts. And you know there is the option to do that. It's free. It takes a very simple click of a button, and it's just a case of inputting some extra text. And that is another subject that always comes up into conversation. And that is very simple. And again, that's another form of marketing, and it's another way of engaging with with, with customers and followers. 
You know, it's really interesting because whenever I have an opportunity to consult with a person or a brand about adding alt text to images, I like to emphasize the point that they are missing a huge opportunity. And it's not just an opportunity to appeal to someone who's visually impaired. And it's not just an opportunity to garner goodwill with respect to a community of people who can access the alt text. I don't know if people realize this, but you get a tremendous amount of marketing real estate by adding alt text descriptions. In Twitter, for example, if you add alt text to a photograph, you're not limited to just a few characters. You can actually say quite a lot. When I'm posting a photograph of my jewelry, for example, I can be pretty elaborate with what I have to say. And I can actually add to the 280 character limit that Twitter imposes by adding a great deal more information that's highly descriptive. And it's the same thing with Instagram. When I add alt text to a photo on Instagram, I can say pretty much whatever I want. There's a tremendous marketing opportunity there that people are really missing out on. And I really wish brands would be more aware of that and use it as a way to really market their products to everyone because that has been really effective for me. And I think people are just missing out on a great opportunity. It's even the same with something like captions. That's what it reminds me of because even when you know, people add captions to their videos on YouTube, it can actually help YouTube and the algorithm to recognize your content and to pinpoint keywords. And it can actually help you to get more views as well. So. I think a lot of the time, you know, brands really miss out opportunities and they think it's just a case of actually benefiting other people, but actually it could also benefit them. And I think that's something that I think brands need to really remember. It's not just a case of actually doing things because it's a good practice and it benefits a community of people, but also it's beneficial just to the brand as a whole and it's beneficial to their pockets, but also to their reputation. It's about, you know, making them aware that actually it's a system that is mutually beneficial to, to both parties, really. And that's what Global Accessibility Awareness Day is all about. It's about well, raising awareness. And, you know, I mean, if you stuff a bunch of keywords into your alt text, I mean, that's going to boost you on the search engines. It's going to, you know, it's going to appeal to the algorithms. I mean, there's no end to the benefits. And I wish more brands would realize that. Well, exactly. And hopefully after brands listen to this podcast today, they will realize that beauty is such a competitive market. There's constantly new launches, new brands being released, new ideas, new revamps of things. So why would you not want to keep doing things that are going to help you be at the top of the game? With things changing the way they do, with new products coming out for every season, with new collections that are being marketed, it's not always easy to make changes to components and compacts and packaging because often, you know, that's a very expensive part of the product, the packaging. But there are ways to accomplish the same thing without putting a, an unnecessary burden on the manufacturers to come up with accessible packaging per, per se. There are ways, as we've said, that they can make the packaging or the product more accessible by other means, for example, the website or their marketing and promotional materials, their social media, that would help their products be more available, accessible, uh, bring their products within reach of 
everyone and be more inclusive. One of the things that I find myself disappointed by is this notion of inclusivity, which seems somehow to exclude people with disabilities. The word inclusive only has one definition. It's inclusive. And to be inclusive isn't just to have 47 shades of foundation, to be inclusive of all the different skin tones and undertones, but to include people with disabilities for whom accessing the differences between those shades could make the difference between whether or not something is flattering or whether something looks like a terrible mistake. Well, exactly. I think inclusivity is something that has, you know, more than just one solid meaning and it encompasses a lot of different things. It's a word that has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people, but every single one of those meanings is valid. And I think that inclusion is often emphasized to be about people of different genders, whether that's non-binary or male or female, or it could include people with different skin colors, people of different ethnicities. But I think people with disabilities tend to be at the bottom of the inclusion list. And I just don't want brands to forget that people with disabilities care about their appearance as well. And with a little extra assistance, a little extra awareness, a little empathy and compassion, we can participate in growing their brand by purchasing their products and making our lives a little more beautiful as well. This is a way that they can do it easily, efficiently, and it's a way that they don't have to necessarily spend a lot of money. You know, making their online websites more inclusive and accessible can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. And I think it's about asking the right questions and about having the willingness to try new things and to work with people who've got lived experience. And I think this is what Global Accessibility Awareness Day is all about. It's about facilitating the conversation between, you know, the online sphere and disabled people to say hey here's some ideas of what you could do to improve our lives well i would love it if our listeners would give us some additional suggestions as to what we might pass on to brands with respect to making their products more accessible or making their websites more accessible or their packaging more accessible i've seen a number of people on Instagram or other social media attempt to make tools more accessible, makeup brushes or mascara wands or whatever it may be to enable people with mobility or dexterity issues to more easily apply their cosmetics. And sometimes, you know, the answers don't have to be a complete retool. It can simply be, you know, offer your makeup brushes in a choice of long handles or short handles. Because for some people, if you're visually impaired and you need to lean in close to a mirror to apply your eyeshadow or your mascara or your eyeliner and you're leaning over the sink to look into a mirror at a distance of four inches in order to be able to see your reflection, a long handled makeup brush is going to get in the way. So just by virtue of the fact that, you know, offer a short handled version of your makeup brush collection and that can go a long way towards assisting people who have I can't tell you how many times I've actually done that myself. Oh, I'm going to do a little bit of a colour on the outer of it. Donk, my brush just like <laughs> me in the eye. It goes everywhere. I have to wipe it off. I'm in a really foul mood for the rest of the day. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it could have been avoided by having a shorter handle. And it's actually why I like to have sample mascaras with shorter ones because it means that I'm not going to poke myself in the eye because I have to lean in to the mirror. It's almost like I'm, I'm Alice from The Looking Glass and I'm trying to step into another world. 
but in this world perhaps it would be an accessible beauty shop where everything would be accessible to me and I'd be in heaven so (laughs) (laughs) that's what what I'm hoping for but alas no (laughs) let's actually start the conversation because I can tell you from you know from working with brands and actually to actually having discussions very recently with some beauty brands the willingness is starting to excel and and the the opportunity is there and the door is really opening so let's really take that opportunity to actually open that door even further and really try to actually make this point of discussion really heard definitely well laura it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today i've had an absolute blast talking about this subject so thank you so much for taking part in this conversation with me today and thank you to everyone for listening and don't forget to share this on social media as well with your favorite brands and from me and laura we wish you a happy global accessibility awareness day and we hope that you have a lovely rest of your week and we will see you in our next episode stay safe everyone thank you for listening to this fashionability podcast to hear more podcasts you can find us on itunes google play blueberry and amazon echo you can tweet us at inclusive style you can find us on facebook at fashionability channel you can find us on instagram at fashionability channel you can also write to us at fashionability channel at gmail.com and finally you can find us on our website at www.fashionabilitychannel.com thanks for listening